When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. You're listening to Superman or Else, and this is episode number four, Enemy Mine. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Superman comics. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and I would warn you about stepping on my cape, but I try not to wear it out in public all that often. So, you know, if you see me out and about and I'm wearing the cape, just try not to step on it. We cool? Well, okay then. Today we begin the back half of the post-crisis Superman reboot with the Man of Steel Issue number four. This hit the stands on August 21st, 1986. It sold for just 75 cents, and the title of the story is Enemy Mine. It was written by John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inks by Dick Giordano, letters by John Costanza, and the colors were by Tom Zuko. Superman! Superman! Lois Lane and Clark Kent attend a party aboard Lex Luthor's private yacht. Lois is insulted by Lex's attempt to buy her love so she begins to leave the party. Before Lois can depart, the ship is hijacked by South American terrorists. Clark is struck in the head and thrown overboard. This allows him to disappear and become Superman. The Man of Steel then easily subdues the hijackers. In the aftermath of the battle, Luther attempts to hire Superman, who refuses to be bought. Lex also reveals that he knew about the hijackers in advance, but didn't act on the information because he wanted to test Superman's abilities. Mayor Berkowitz then deputizes Superman and orders him to arrest Luther for reckless endangerment. Days later, Luther confronts Superman after having spent just two hours behind bars. Luther promises to ruin and kill Superman. Luther claims that everyone will know who was responsible but no one will be able to prove it. Who hurt you, Stephen? That synopsis, by the way, comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com. Now, I love comic books. This story takes place about 18 months or so after Superman's debut, after he became Superman and shown himself to the world as Superman in his colorful blue and red suit. And, uh... That, of course, happened in Man of Steel, issue number two. But if we look at the cover of this book, again, we have the same kind of, I'm just going to keep calling it trade dress. We have on the left-hand side of the cover a scene from within the book in which a terrorist is firing a machine gun at Lois and Superman has flown in between them so that the bullets bounce off his chest. And then on the right-hand side of the cover, we have a character who, while in this case, has appeared in this miniseries. We haven't seen his face until this issue, so it's basically the full debut of Lex Luthor in the post-crisis DC world. Lex Luthor? So we open in Clark's apartment. He is answering the door. Lois is at the door. They are to go to this big gala bash party thing that Lex Luthor is holding on his 
extravagant yacht. Party, party, party. And Lois is there to pick up Clark. They're to go together. And she has arrived early because her ride picked her up earlier than she expected. So Clark isn't quite ready yet. He's got his pants on. He's got his shirt on, but it's not tucked into his pants. And he hasn't shaved yet. Lois basically tells him that he needs to get on that so they can get going. And then she comes into the apartment and starts looking around. She's still angry at him because he scooped the story of Superman out from underneath her 18 months ago. And he can't quite understand why she's so angry at him. He brings up the point that if they were competing reporters working together and he scooped the story out from underneath her that he can understand why she would be so angry. And she explains that, no, in that scenario, she wouldn't even be angry at all because that's what reporters deal with. It's the fact that he came out of the blue, out of nowhere, having never worked as a reporter before and just happened to get this story about Superman that she had been working very diligently trying to get there and back in issue number two. If you remember from that, she even sacrificed her own life. And... (laughs) Drove her car into the river in hopes that Superman would save her just so she could meet him. But I just couldn't stand the idea of not meeting you. Here comes this guy from Kansas, this bumpkin with no experience whatsoever. And he steals the story out from under her and uses that to get a job at the Daily Planet. And she's still quite angry about that. But the fact of the matter is, at this point, they're both attending this party together, not as dates, but... I don't think they quite say as an official capacity through the Daily Planet. I know that they were both invited by Lex, but Lex Luthor. Anyway, she's going through his apartment and she, you know, is picking up various things. She sees this almost like a uh, altar of Clark's glory days with his football trophies and a picture of him in his football outfit, costume, uniform, whatever you want to freaking call it from back in his high school days. And She comments on a picture of his parents and uh, even comments on the weights that he has. He's got a weight set up in his apartment to make people think. Basically, he as Clark Kent, he has to do various things to throw people off the scent that he may be Superman. And one of the things that he needs to account for is that he's a big, rugged, burly man, just like Superman is. He's big and muscular with the big wide shoulders. And so he has this weight bench with weights in his apartment. They're primarily for show, just so people will assume that he lifts weights. And that's why he's all muscly. Oh, I've been uh, working out. Another thing that he does is when he goes in to shave, he can't shave his face using conventional razors because he's super strong. He's got, you know, super durability. A razor is not going to cut the hair on his cheeks. And so what he has to do is he has to take a curved piece of metal that came off of the rocket that brought Superman to Earth, that brought Clark to Earth, that brought baby Kal-El to Earth. And because it's Kryptonian metal, he can direct his heat beams at it or his his heat vision. And I'll explain why I'm not why I corrected myself there here in just a second. But he directs his heat vision at the curved piece of metal, reflects it back onto his face and uses his heat vision to burn the stubble from his face. He even mentions that after, I don't know, however long he's been doing this, which really can only have been over the last couple of years because he only dis- they, he only discovered that he came to Earth in this rocket 
you know, at the end of issue number one. Well, not at the end of issue number one, but it's about, well, thinking of the time jumps that happened throughout this series so far, he learns that he was in this rocket ship that crash landed to Earth when he was a baby. Uh, That happened seven years before issue number two, because he, he learns that and then he leaves Smallville and he goes out to try to make his way in the world to use his powers for good in a, a secret fashion. He doesn't become Superman at this point. He does this for about seven years and then something happens in Metropolis that makes him realize that he's going to have to put on this costume to distract people. He can't do this as Clark Kent. He's got to have a dual identity. And then, of course, uh, that he, he debuts himself as Superman in issue number two, which happens shortly after he decides to become Superman. So that would be seven years after he discovered that he came to Earth in a rocket. And then this issue is taking place 18 months after that. So we're talking about eight and a half years that he has probably been using this method to shave his face. And so he mentions that by doing that, of course, just like a a, a regular man using a razor on his face, his skin has become used to the heat vision and does not burn or split open or anything like that. But uh, what he... <laughs> The funniest thing about it is, is that when he goes into his uh, into his bathroom to shave, even though he's using this curved piece of metal and his heat vision to do it, he has an electric razor in his bathroom that he plugs in and he turns on just so Lois can hear the electric razor and not ask any questions, which seems uh, a bit silly. I mean, I don't know why she would question the fact that he goes in there to shave and then he comes back out and he's clean shaven and she she would question the fact that she didn't hear an electric razor. I mean, they make straight razors, you know, and they make disposable razors. You don't have to turn on, you don't, you don't have to shave with an electric razor, but you know, if he was going to use a regular razor, I suppose he would have turned the sink on or turned the sink on, turned on the faucet, let the water run for a while, that kind of crap. He's, he just, to me, it feels like he's going a little bit over the top, but he's doing whatever he can to distract people and allay any suspicions that he might be Superman, because anybody who has been face to face with Clark and then face to face with Superman is not immediately just based on two encounters is is going to assume that they're two different people simply because one wears glasses with his hair slicked back and the other doesn't. It's kind of the point of the costume. It's to be very distracting. So you don't pay too much attention to what the dude looks like. And he is supposed to, you know, move around quickly and whatnot around people so they don't really get a good look at him. But that kind of goes out the window in this in this issue a bit. But the reason why I mentioned uh, I corrected myself from heat beams to heat vision is that typically when you think of Superman using his heat vision, a lot of times you see it in the comics as uh, red beams of light, like lasers coming out of his eyes. But John Byrne has changed that. Well, I, I don't know if this is a John Byrne change or if it happened before John Byrne, but he his eyes glow red in the center. And then whatever he's looking at heats up. So there, there's not a visible beam that comes out that the naked eye can see. Anyway, Clark finishes shaving. He comes out into his apartment. He finds Lois sitting on his weight bench and she's using one of his barbells. She's, she's curling with one arm. And she says they're hardly heavier than the ones that she uses. And he thinks to himself, oops, I hadn't thought of that. I've gone to great lengths to provide explanations of how Clark Kent can have a build almost as good as Superman's. But with my super strength, it's hard for me to be sure of the weight 
of something as small as a dumbbell. And then he explains to Lois, oh, well, those are old weights. I keep meaning to upgrade, but I, I just haven't got around to it yet. And so they leave the apartment, go upstairs. Clark is, is heading towards the elevator and Lois says, nope, we're going to the stairs. We're going to the roof where our helicopter is waiting for us. And Lex Luthor had sent a helicopter to pick up Lois and then go pick up Clark. And so this helicopter has been sitting on the roof of this building. And Clark is very alarmed by that because as he points out, his building is not set up with a helipad on the top of it. It's the, the roof is not built to take the weight of a helicopter sitting on top of it. And he's a bit alarmed. He feels like that's quite illegal. And Lois agrees with him. I'm sure it is illegal, but that's Lex. That's what Lex Luthor does. He, he's the most powerful man in metropolis he does whatever he wants and he gets away with it because he's rich and he's powerful he's the richest man in the world he's one of the most powerful men in the world and she explains to clark that she knows he does illegal things she knows that he's got his hands dirty and you know elbow deep in all kinds of criminal activities but she can't prove it and she's been working on that for a while and if you dig into luther and his history and his background all you're going to find is all the good stuff he does. She says charitable institutions, funding to universities all over America. And he does a very good job of keeping his criminal activities out of the public eye. She doesn't she can't prove that he's a criminal, but she just knows that he is. And Clark makes this comment that that must color her relationship with Lex. He explains that, you know, the rumor is, is that Lois and Lex are an item. They're hot and heavy. You said Hot and heavy. And Lois dismisses that and says, you must not be a good reporter if that's the kind of information you've you've dug up about me. Me and me and Lex are not at all an item. So the helicopter takes them out to the yacht, which is already out out in the water. Obviously, it's a huge freaking yacht, the biggest yacht in the world. And we finally meet Lex. And he is not what you would expect when you first meet him post-crisis. Here in this issue of Man of Steel, we've like I said, he's made at least one appearance so far in the book, but it was he was sitting in the back of his limo in issue number two. And all we saw were his hands and his face in shadow. So we didn't get a good look at him. But coming into these issues, everyone who is familiar with Lex Luthor knows him as a regular build bald guy. Uh, and for up to this point, he's been kind of a mad scientist world conqueror type type of guy, right? Well, when we meet him, he's got not quite a full head of hair. He's thinning at the top. He's got red hair and he's got a bit of a paunch. He's got a bit of a belly. Plus, Lex Luthor's keen mind. Lex Luthor's savvy. I may have mentioned it before, but from what I understand, John Byrne based Lex Luthor after Donald Trump, which kind of tells you that people have known that Donald Trump was a crooked piece of crap for a long, long, long time. This is 1986, folks. And John Byrne based Superman's most hated and evil villain on Donald Trump. So that should that should tell you something. Well, we learn here that this dress that Lois is wearing, she ha tells Clark that it is a loner, that Lex loaned it to her. But we learn here that Lex actually gave it to her as a gift. She was not aware of that. She, again, assumed it was a loner. And once she finds out that Lex meant it as a gift, she is immediately pissed off. She will not accept gifts from him. She's told him that before. 
And there are, they don't explain why she won't accept gifts from him. There are a number of reasons why she probably wouldn't. I would like to think it's because Lex is very vocal about his desire for her. She even tells Clark on the way over to the, to the yacht that Lex wants to, wants her to be his, not because he is smitten with her or in love with her or anything like that. It's, it's, he's a collector and he has to have, you know, the, the best things in life. And for him to have Lois Lane, the star reporter on his arm as his, something that he owns, you know, that would be a big, a big thing for him. It's, it's, you know, it would be something that, that unobtainable that he could collect because she doesn't want to be romantically involved with him. And that just makes him want her even more because again, she is, an unobtainable thing that, that he can try and collect. So I like to think that the reason why she won't accept gifts from him is because he, she doesn't want, she doesn't want to use his infatuation with her to cash in. Basically, she probably feels that it would be immoral to accept a gift from a man who is giving it to her for on the surface, what would be romantic reasons and for her to accept it when she doesn't want to be romantic with him would would be uh, the wrong thing to do morally. There's also the question of her status as a reporter, the the trust that the public might have in her if she is receiving extravagant gifts from someone like Lex Luthor. Would anybody be able to believe that anything she writes about him is true if maybe he's got her in his pocket? So there's there's that as well. But once she finds out that this dress is considered a gift, she literally takes it off right there. They're they're on the yacht, but they're not up with the rest of the party. They're in kind of a private room. It's almost like a living room in the yacht. It's a big spacious open area with couches and a bar and and art and all that junk. And she literally takes the dress off in front of them. She does have Clark. She tells him to come and stand in front of her with his back to her. And how does she put it? Um Stand there and be as wide as you know how to uh, not allow Lex to see her taking this dress off. And then she takes Clark's jacket and she wears it for the rest of the issue. We don't know if she's naked under that jacket. I don't know what kind of person Lois is. I don't even know why I'm thinking about that. She could be in her underdrawers for all we know. Doesn't really matter. Why am I even bringing that up? It's because I'm an idiot. Anyway, she's leaving the party at this point. She's she's removed the dress. She's wearing Clark's tux jacket. And she's had enough and she's ready to leave. And she starts to exit the room. She goes out onto the yacht and runs right into a group of South American terrorists and gets a machine gun pointed in her face. Clark is immediately between her and the gunman. She even thinks, how did he get in front of me? I've never seen anyone move so fast. And the gunman, gunman, the gunman bashes Clark across the face with his gun. The barrel of his gun, even, which doesn't seem like a good thing to do. I don't know why you'd want to hit somebody with the barrel of your gun. I mean, there's not a huge risk that you could mess up your gun doing that, but I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I'd hit him with the stock of the gun. But anyway, Clark pretends that he has been knocked unconscious. Uh, one of the other terrorists, a female, comes up behind Lois and grabs her by the hair and, and, and sticks a gun in, her, in, her, in, in the side of her head because Lois is, is very alarmed by Clark being physically assaulted like this. And while this female terrorist keeps hold of Lois, the other two terrorists that are with them tosses Clark overboard. 
Now, Lois assumes at this point that Clark is dead. I mean, why wouldn't you? He just got dumped in the ocean. There's nobody there to save him. There's a good chance that he got sucked under the boat, chewed up by the propellers. But there's not much she can do about it. And before she can even mourn the loss of her colleague, she is ushered up to the deck with the rest of the passengers. Those passengers include the mayor, Mayor Berkowitz. And he is wondering where frickin' Lex Luthor is. And we see Luthor through the blinds, watching them through this window these with these open blinds. And he's thinking to himself, perfect, perfect. And then suddenly the deck of the ship starts tilting because while he was down in the water, Clark changed into his Superman outfit and he lifts the yacht out of the water. And he actually makes a comment as he's flying along carrying this yacht. He says, this is easier than I expected. Odd that things seem to weigh less when I'm flying than they do when I'm on the ground. And that's kind of interesting. I don't know what it is about him flying. He's able to carry much more weight. Things seem to be less heavy when he's in the air. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they explore that a bit more. They don't go into any more detail than that here in this issue. But as he's doing this, Lois takes advantage of the confusion, the, the tilting deck and people being kind of unsteady on their feet. And she kicks one of the terrorists square in the nuts and grabs his gun and just starts firing this machine gun toward the freaking terrorists. And she calls out to the mayor to look over the side to see if what's happening if, you know, if it's Superman that's involved. And the mayor tells her that, you know, from this angle, he can't see underneath the boat. Of course, you think that Lois would be smart enough to realize that. Or maybe she just assumes Clark, uh, uh, Superman's doing this in some other fashion. Anyway, he tells her that he can't see anything, but who else could it be? So he flies the boat. I keep saying boat. I think boat enthusiasts would be angry and tell me it's not a boat, you idiot. It's a ship. It's a yacht, the Sea Queen. He flies it to where its original destination was supposed to be, the private island of Shangri-La, which is owned by Lex Luthor. And he he takes it there and flies it over to the, I guess, one of the docking stations, uh, you know, to the port. And from there, he flies up to the, you know, into the ship and starts helping take out the terrorists. Lois is actually taking care of most of them. She's just firing over their heads. She's continually firing a machine gun and they're all down on the ground, keeping their heads down. But one of them she missed and he's sneaking up behind her. And he's about to unload on her when Superman suddenly flies in between Lois and the terrorist as the terrorist squeezes the trigger and he basically empties the clip into Superman's chest and all the bullets fly off, bounce off. This is the same scene we see on the cover. However, uh, shown from a different perspective, we're seeing this as if we're standing behind Clark or Superman and looking at the terrorist, whereas on the cover... We're seeing it from the perspective of, of looking at Superman from the front. So Superman at this point reaches out and he grabs a hold of the terrorist's gun. And rather than just yanking it out of his hands, he starts to crush it. And there's a series of one, two, three, four, five panels where he is just slowly crushing this gun like inch by inch, moving along the length of this gun until he gets to right where this terrorist, his hand is, He's where he's holding the gun by the grip and Superman finally says, I'd think about letting go if I were you, because if Superman continues, he's going to crush this guy's hand. So 
Everybody's happy. Superman saved the day. Lex finally makes an appearance, and the first thing he does is he hands Superman a check for $25,000. He tells Superman, you've more than earned every penny for this. And Superman tells him, I can't accept this. Why are you giving me a check? And Luther tells him that it's, it's a retainer that Superman is now on his payroll and Superman's like, nah, nah, that's not going to happen, son. I am not on your payroll. I don't do this for money. And he, they actually don't show him ripping up the check, but I have to assume that he did. But it's here that, that Luther reveals that he knew that this was going to happen. He has, you know, a massive security force and he has a information organization, you know, like a spy organization almost that when they hear about threats and whatnot. They they give that information to Lex. And so he knew that this might happen. And, you know, they've been hearing grumblings about it because of his South American holdings and the small problems that he's having with the people in South America. So they got wind of this threat and Lex decided to do absolutely nothing about it because he wanted to see how Superman would handle the situation. Well, of course, the mayor is pissed. How could you, the mayor tells him, how could you do nothing? You knew this was going to happen and you did nothing. And Lex is telling him, ah, no, it's, it's no big deal. My security people were on hand. They were ready to strike at a moment's notice. If Superman couldn't have handled this, my security people would have. And this scene, I think, perfectly embodies who Lex is or who Lex has been up to this point, because he is so used to getting away with everything that. I mean, let's compare it to Donald Trump again. You know, he said at one of his stupid MAGA rallies that they everybody loves him so much that he could murder somebody in cold blood. He could gun somebody down in the middle of a busy public New York street. He uh, thousands of witnesses could see him do this and he wouldn't go to jail. And this is exactly how Lex feels. And in fact, as he's explaining why, you know, it was no big deal. He didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't feel like he's done anything wrong. And he, he feels perfectly comfortable talking about this in the open in front of reporters and the mayor, because he just he knows he just in his heart, in his head, he knows he's not going to get into any trouble for it. And finally, the mayor is like, well, screw you, buddy. You've opened yourself up to a charge of reckless endangerment. He turns to Superman. And he says, Superman, I'm going to appoint you as a special deputy. I want you to arrest Lex Luthor immediately. And Lex laughs it off. You can't arrest me. He, he, he doesn't even, he refers to the mayor by his first name. Don't be absurd, Frank. You can't arrest me. I'm Lex Luthor. I'm the most powerful man in Metropolis. And he's got this big shit-eating grin on his face. You know, nothing can happen to me. I am untouchable, is what this grin says. And the mayor, it's pretty awesome. He just fires back. To Lex as Superman is standing behind him, you know, Superman's like at least a foot taller than the freaking mayor. And he's just looming behind him. And the mayor says, no, you're not Lex. Not anymore. You know, to the, the comment of I'm the most powerful man in Metropolis. No, you're not Lex. Not anymore. Superman, do your duty. And then we get this page, five panels with no dialogue. We have one sound effect that says clang. This is uh, where, where we see mug shots of Lex. We see Lex being fingerprinted, and then we see Lex being walked to a cell, and then the sound clang as the cell door is closed. We then move forward. Three days later, Superman is flying into a subway tunnel where there is a subway train that has been stopped on the tracks. There's something wrong with the train, and he's not there to fix the train, but he had heard 
with his super hearing a report, uh, an alert message from the train that there was a woman on board who was about to have a baby. So Superman flies in and he grabs her up. He flies her to the hospital. He makes a point of saying that he's not going to fly at super speed because that would damage both the woman and her unborn baby, but he can still get her faster than an ambulance would get her to the hospital faster than an ambulance would. And two hours later, he's coming out of the hospital and he's musing on the fact that the baby has been born, the the child and the mother are doing well, and the mother insisted that she name the child after Superman. And Superman convinced her not to use it as this child's first name. And so the kid's name is Robert S. Ng. That's that's his name. So S as in Superman, the the, the child's middle name is Superman. But as he's as he's thinking about this, he's walking out of the hospital. He suddenly uh somebody takes a a, a photo of him. We we get a, a view through like the viewfinder of the camera and we hear a click and he just instantly he hears it and he instantly realizes that he was just photographed and he's kind of freaking out about it a bit because he typically is pretty good about being aware of his surroundings and not letting anybody take a clear picture of his face because he doesn't want people to really get a good look at his face. Now, at the same time, he spent this time on the ship with the mayor and Lois and Lex, and he talked to them for a while. So they all got a good look at his face. He obviously spent time in this hospital room with this woman. And granted, she was giving birth, but she spoke to him long enough to have a conversation about what she should name her child. So she got a good look at his face, you know, and then here as the issue ends, Lex Luthor approaches him on the steps of the hospital and he has a conversation with Superman again. So again, he gets a good look at his face. So I guess he's more worried about somebody taking pictures from various angles and being able to study the face a bit more. Possibly. I don't know if facial recognition was a thing in 1986. Um, I don't remember. But definitely in the world of comic books, it could be at this point. Uh, but he's very kind of thrown off for this photo being taken of him, but he doesn't see anybody around with a camera. And so he's getting ready to fly away, thinking that he imagined the whole thing. And that's when Lex approaches. And he basically tells Superman, look, you did the one thing that nobody has been able to do. You got me put in jail. Granted, it was only for a couple of hours, but you did it. And because of that, I'm coming for you. Your days are numbered, basically, he tells him. I am the most powerful man in Metropolis, not you, and I'm going to prove that. And very soon, not only am I going to take you out, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to destroy your life. I'm going to kill you. And you are going to know that I'm the one who's doing it. And in fact, everyone in Metropolis will know that Lex Luthor killed Superman, but nobody will be able to prove it. And, 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 and Lex will, will never be arrested ever again. And as the issue ends, he's throwing the one last threat to him. Remember, Superman, you're a dead man. It's just a question of how soon. And that's that's how this issue ends. Uh, I rather enjoyed this one. I think this is one of my favorites so far of, of the four that I've read. I, I enjoyed the one with Batman. But again, if, if you remember from that episode, I did have problems with Superman's high and mighty, pious. I am uh, the righteous one. I am the one who decides how superhero vigilantism should be done. Is that how you say it? Vigilantism? I don't know. Superman actually does not consider himself a vigilante, even though that is exactly what he is, uh, which I don't like that side of Superman. And I, I talked about that in the last episode. But 
This one is my favorite one so far. I really enjoyed Lois in this issue. Um, she really kicked a lot of ass in this issue. I like that Lois is very, not just that she's a strong female character, but she is, she's, she feels very well-rounded. She's, she feels real to me. And I like the fact that I, I almost feel like there's just, there's just no way that she would ever consider that Clark Kent and Superman are one and the same. And I think a lot of it is because she's just so she's angry at Clark, first of all, for for snaking the story out from under her. And I don't think she thinks very highly of Clark right now, even though she was rather upset when she thought he was dead. She does find out Superman, quote unquote, Superman tells her that um, Clark survived, that he was able to save Clark and get him to, you know, a, a place of safety before he came back to to move the ship. But I just, she doesn't have a lot of respect for Clark. I, I think she looks down on Clark right now. So the idea that Clark Kent and Superman could be the same person just is not something that her mind is even able to conceive at this point. Lois Lane, that is the silliest idea ever. Now, it'll be interesting as we get further and further in how they might justify, or even if they try to justify, how does Lois not know that Superman and Clark Kent are the same person? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if they... If they even bring that up, because that's always been one of the basic tenets between the Lois Clark Superman relationship is that she at one point starts to somewhat believe that they are the same person and sets about trying to prove it. And I don't know if they if they do that at all at all post crisis. I don't know how much they did it before the crisis. It's one of the reasons why uh, I do the Superman Super Show with Ed Moore is so we can uh, try to get into as many of those golden age stories as possible and know more about Superman's history and, and what kind of stuff happened before the post-crisis Superman, which is where I kind of came into the the game back in the 80s. But I uh, back to the issue, I also really liked Lex. I liked the portrayal of Lex in this. Um, while I do enjoy the mad scientist Lex Luthor, I rather enjoy this businessman Lex Luthor at this point. I, I think that the motivation for Lex to hate Superman here in this reboot is is more believable than what it used to be, which, you know, I think eventually what it came down to was that when Superman was a teenager and he was Superboy, he uh, came upon Lex in his lab who was working on something and the lab caught fire and Superboy um, used his super breath to put out the fire. But it also, for some reason, blew all the hair off of Lex's head and made him bald. And that's why Lex hated him. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I know that that's I know that that's a story. I don't know if that's the entire motivation from that point on as to why Lex hated Superman and was always wanting to take him out. But if, if it is, that's what the way I understand it. If it is, it's kind of dumb uh, here. Lex being the single most powerful, richest man in Metropolis, um, lording it over everybody, getting away with everything. Lex Luthor. Greatest criminal mind of our time. Of our time. And then here comes this other guy who is physically more powerful than him and can possibly do something to put a stop to uh, Lex's criminal activities. I understand that. I get that motivation. Now, I know that currently, I, I believe eventually they kind of evolve that into more of a uh, not only do I hate you. Superman, because, you know, you are more powerful than me and I'm the one who's supposed to be the most powerful in Metropolis. They've also added a bit of xenophobia in there as well. He doesn't like that uh, Superman is an alien. 
Now, at this point in the comic, he doesn't know that. It's not general knowledge. I believe that it does become general knowledge at some point. I just don't know when. And again, that's why I'm doing this, because while post-crisis Superman is my Superman, that's where I have read most of my Superman. What I've read is really just a drop in the bucket. And I know I've talked about this before, but I started out with Man of Steel back in the 80s. I read uh, continuing on with the John Byrne run after that, but not for very many issues, maybe a year's worth of issues. And then I, uh, I stopped reading them primarily because I was reading my, the, the copies that my brother was buying at the time because I wasn't, I wasn't purchasing comics at that point other than ones that I was getting through the mail through the subscription model. And those were GI Joe and Captain America. But I imagine that my brother just stopped getting those. And that's why I stopped reading them because he, he just wasn't getting them anymore. So that's another, that's the main reason I'm doing this show is just to kind of give me an excuse to, to really get to know more of the post-crisis Superman beginnings, you know, past the first year of, of John Byrne Superman, and then leading through the many, the, the years after leading through getting up to uh, the death of Superman, which is where I came back on. But I think the most interesting thing going forward is to see if I can do an episode without mentioning that, because <laughs> I think I've mentioned my 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 reasons and and when I started reading and when I stopped reading and when I started reading again I think I've mentioned that at least every episode so far but I think I'll try to uh try to avoid that going forward we'll see can I do it who knows we'll see I don't know that there's anything else I want to say about this issue uh again I'm loving the John Byrne art the John when I think of Superman I think of John Byrne and um the the stories so far aren't as good as I remember them being, you know, when I was, how old would I have been? 14 when these issues were coming out. Yeah, 14 years old. And I like to think my tastes have matured since then, you know, that's a long time ago. But uh, next time uh, we're going to look at, of course, Man of Steel issue number five, which was published in September of 1986, September 11th, actually. And that story is called Mirror cracked mirror and it contains our first post-crisis appearance of bizarro which i find this appearance very bittersweet and i will explain that when next we talk until then folks remember don't step on my cape i mean if you're gonna step on a cape step on mine don't step on superman's cape so if if you if you need to step on a cape if you wake up in the morning and you head out into your day and you're thinking i have to step on somebody's cape you probably might want to step on mine. Actually, that's probably not true. Superman would probably handle it a lot better than I would. I'm not saying that I would lash out at you in any violent form, but I would be angry and I would be hurt and I would be confused. Why, 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 why would you step on my cape? That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's just mean. And I may go home and cry a little bit. And you don't want that on your conscience. My emotions, my emotions. So maybe, yeah, if you're going to step on a cape, step on Superman's though. I, I've always found that line from that song a little odd, considering that uh, Superman's cape does not reach the ground. So you literally have to wait until Superman is crouched or laying or, or sitting on the ground to actually step on his cape. So I don't even know why I bring it up. I'll talk to you later. Bye. 
Superman or Else is a Stephen or Else production in association with the Superman Super Show. Questions and comments can be directed to the Superman Super Show at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at my Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anyone else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. Superman is published by DC Comics and was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about poop. Hello and welcome to Superman or Else, the podcast in which I'm talking about post-crisis Poopity poop pop pippity pee. Hello and welcome. Before Lois can depart. Fight for it. Oh no, there's smoke coming from Lex Luthor's lab. My super breath will extinguish it. Lex, are you all right? You rat! Your super breath destroyed my lab and blew the gas fumes at me causing my hair to fall out. But it was an accident. Don't lie, you were jealous of my genius. Just don't think I can move through life knowing that a guy named Steven did this to me.